Chapter 23 This was it. Chimera had the Stone of Brighthelm. The magpie's plan was nearly complete. They were going to use the stone to bring a terrible storm on the crows. If the power of the stone was unleashed, it could blow the crows from the top of the I-360. The problem was that the storm could easily destroy the rest of Brighton in the process. From the Seven Dials, it was downhill for a mile all the way to the I-360. James's left arm was throbbing, and he tried to keep it as still as possible as he ran. The wind had risen to a gale blowing at his back. Trees bent over and lampposts shook, and leaves and debris flew past James on his way down Vernon Terrace. He pulled his red woolly hat down to keep it from blowing away. When he came up to the crossing with Western Road, he was running too fast to stop. A waitrose lorry was moving slowly through the lights, waiting to turn right up the hill toward the dials. James tried to slow down, but the wind behind him was too strong. A huge gust hit the high side of the lorry and pushed it over onto two wheels. It paused, perfectly balanced for a moment, before the wind eased and it rocked back onto the road. All the cars stopped, and James picked his way between two taxis. He reached the seafront in record time, choosing not to turn toward the I-360, but to the huge marquee erected on Hove Lawns. The canvas sides of the marquee were blowing wildly with the wind, the thick ropes straining to their limit to anchor the choir venue to the ground. James caught hold of a rope and used it as a brake. He wanted to find Chimera, but he needed help. He struggled round the side of the marquee and slipped through a gap in the canvas. It was just after two o'clock and inside was bustling with schoolchildren being herded by their teachers. Each school choir had a set of benches to sit on, and everyone seemed oblivious to the weather outside. James looked frantically around and finally saw the Balfour choir on the far side of the tent. He ran over. Jenny, he said, Chimera has the stone, and the girdle picks is out of water. She's using it to blow the crows off the tower. We've got to stop her. What? I thought you took it back to Hegel. We don't have time to chat about it. If we don't go now, the storm will blow this place away. Jenny looked like she was going to say something else. Then she nodded. They were about to head to the way out, when a huge gust hit the side of the marquee and ripped the door flaps open. The wild flapping and the accompanying wind was enough to cause screams of alarm. Look, Jenny said, pointing to their exit. Two teachers went to stand guard and stop the door flaps from causing harm. They herded children away and told them to sit down on the benches. This way, James said, leading Jenny behind the benches. They pushed their way under the side of the tent, squeezing against the grass. The other side faced the sea and was sheltered from the wind. The waves were wild, the largest James had seen, spraying pebbles up onto the promenade. How long has the girdle picks been out? Jenny shouted over the wind. Ten minutes. My guess is that Chimera and the magpies brought it down here, so the full force of the storm will hit the tower. The sky was getting dark. Storm clouds had gathered, and more were coming in from the rough sea. The wind was blowing a different direction at the marquee, not from the north, but from the east, pushing them toward the I-360. Above the tower, the sky was lighter. The eye of the storm, Jenny said. It's right above the I-360. They ran with the wind, off the grass of Hove Lawns and onto the smooth tarmac of the promenade. The chairs in front of the bandstand cafe were strewn across the ground. 
the bottom of the I-360 was only a couple of hundred metres away, when a massive wave crashed into the beach and covered the children with cold, salty spray. Past the playground, the hanging signs on the beachfront shops were pushed almost horizontal by the wind, and another wave crashed higher up this time, the force of the water slapping their skin. James used his good arm to wipe his eyes. There! Jenny shouted, pointing to the sky above the beach. A few magpies were flapping wildly, barely controlling their flight. They landed heavily near one of the old iron columns of the West Pier. The old pier was long gone, just a skeleton further out in the water. A few rusty columns still rose out of the stones, with nothing above them to support. Waves were breaking dangerously close to the columns. James and Jenny forced themselves to a stop on the promenade level with the magpies. Between two birds was Chimera, crouched low, hard to spot against the brown, grey and orange pebbles. Another bird was perched in front of Chimera. It took James a moment to work out what the bird was doing. It was flapping and stamping to keep from blowing away, and it was pecking hard at something in Chimera's mouth. "'The girdle picks!' Jenny shouted. That was what the bird was pecking at. "'That magpie is trying to!' But James didn't hear the rest of the sentence, as the magpie undid the picks and unleashed the stone. A huge gust of wind battered the beach, and the magpies and the girdle picks were swept up and away. The stone of Brighthelm fell onto the pebbles. Wind howled, and the clouds above the I-360 swirled in a terrible spiral. It was difficult to stand up, but James and Jenny leaned forward into the wind and struggled toward the fox. Chimera stayed low, and as James got closer, he saw a different look in the fox's face, not evil or angry, but scared. The children were close now. They were both crawling, as standing was impossible. Another wave hit the beach, so hard that James felt the vibrations through the stones. It wouldn't be long until the waves reached them, if the wind hadn't blown them away first. Then, a gust so hard it took James's breath away, screamed up the beach. James flattened himself against the stones, willing himself down. Chimera was only two feet in front of them, and he could see her body rocked by the wind. The stone of Brighthelm was in front of her, a small oval pebble that was giving off a dull green glow like the Squiducken key had done. James extended his hand to grab the stone. Chimera, scared as she was, reacted and went to snap at him. But as she lifted her head, the wind forced its way under her and lifted her off the ground. For a heartbeat, the fox floated just in front of James. Her eyes were wide with fear as she realised what she'd done. He tried to reach her to catch her paw, but it was too late. The wind had her now, and she was buffeted upward and away, until she was just a tiny dot in the sky above the pier, then nothing. James was next to Jenny now. Another wave crashed, showering the children with water. "'We've got to get it back in the girdle picks!' she shouted. "'It's there! Look!' Jenny pointed to the nearest iron column. Right at the top, the leather picks was caught on an old bolt, streaming in the wind. There was no way they could get to the girdle picks, not with the storm raging. They needed to get the stone under water. James reached out to grab the stone, but when his finger touched it, he pulled back in pain. It was so cold it burned him. They needed something filled with water, and they needed something to pick up the stone with. He wished he had the waterproof bag, but then he did have something else waterproof. 
My hood, he shouted. Can you help unzip it? Jenny put her hand on his collar and pulled the zip round. James kept a hand clamped on the hood to keep it from being blown away. We need to fill it with water, he said. On cue, he felt the rumble of another huge wave smash into the stones. He held the hood open, and the wind almost took it away. Jenny joined him, holding it tight, as the spray from the waves splashed over them, filling the waterproof hood halfway. James pulled off his hat and used it to protect his hand as he picked up the stone. It still felt cold through the wool, and for a moment he thought about what the old Orattle had said. Could it really help him with the cryptograms? Something hard blew across the beach and hit him in the chest. He ignored it, and he dumped the stone and the hat into his hood. Another wave crashed, and the water in the hood submerged the stone completely. The effect was almost instant. The battering wind eased back to a gale, and the children could stand up. James's arm was hurting too much for him to climb the column, so he held the hood and gave Jenny a boost up. She unhooked the girdle picks, and they walked back up the beach and took shelter from the wind by the steps of the I-360. Careful to keep the stone under water, with a little bit of effort they managed to cajole it back into the girdle picks. The dark clouds were still above them, but over the sea it was now clear and blue. Making their way back to the marquee, the children saw the effects of the storm. The beach had been pushed up and over the promenade in places. Chairs and tables were strewn everywhere, as were hats and coats from unsuspecting walkers. Reaching the peace statue, they saw the traffic was chaotic. Cars were at a standstill where a high-sided lorry had been pushed onto its side. Bicycles were abandoned on the cycle path, and the marquee was barely standing. The roof canvas had been ripped off and was nowhere to be seen, and the sides were flattened against the grass. It was pretty bad. The stone had been out of the girdle picks for perhaps a minute. James had no doubt that if they hadn't been there, the whole marquee and everything inside it would have been swept away by the storm.